Well, good morning. How many of y'all recognize that theme? Yeah, Mission Impossible. Now, if you're a little bit older, you're talking about the TV series back in the early or late 60s and early 70s. That was incredible. And then Tom Cruise, I think it was, came out and came up with the series, the movies, one, two, and three of Mission Impossible. And it always started kind of like this. It started out with a guy named Mr. Phelps. Usually it'd say, good morning, as a tape recording. Good morning, Mr. Phelps. And then it would go into the scenario, the situation that was in the world to begin with that. And then it would go and say, your mission, Jim, should you decide to accept it. And then go to a brief explanation, uh, explanation of the mission and what they were to do. And then these terrible words. As always, should you or any of your IM force be caught or killed? The secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. And then it said this. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Jim. Remember all that? What it cool? I mean, as a kid, I remember the, you know, the thing catching on fire and how cool that was. Well, did you know that we are on a mission? As the church of the living God, we are on a mission. Our mission is not impossible. Rather, our mission is possible. And our mission particularly this week, is mission thanksgiving. So what is our mission? What are we to be? What are we to do? What's this short clip? Our mission is to be the church. And just like in the series, the Mission Impossible series, is always Mission Impossible, but did you know something? Always in the end, they somehow pulled it off. And I'm here to tell you, not by our power and not by our strength and not by our mouth, our mouth, our power, but we can, we can pull it off. By God's grace, impossible becomes possible. Amen? Now, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Jude. Now, this is an easy one. Because you go all the way to the right, and you find your concordance. Then you go a little bit further to the, back toward the front, and you find the book of Revelation. And then you find the book of Jude. And it's one chapter long. And we believe, a lot of theologians believe that, you know, say, well, who was Jude? We really don't know. But there's a lot of evidence 
that Jude was another half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know James was a half-brother of Jesus Christ. Uh, same mother, different father. Okay, And also that Jude probably was also a half-brother of Jesus Christ. Same mother, different father again. And we really don't know who he's writing to. Uh, writing to a diverse audience. But we do know why he wrote. Because we find that in verse number 3 in, in Jude. Here's what it says. Dear friends... Although I was eager to write you about the salvation we share, here it is, I found it necessary to write and exhort you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. Jude says, I felt compelled to write you to fight for, to contend for the faith. And you say, okay, why is that so important? Well, in his sphere, okay, there are about three reasons. One is this, certainly in the church... There was a new rising of false teaching. There are people coming along that saying salvation could be won by, by works, uh, by keeping the law, those kind of things, and not by God's amazing grace. All right. Also, culturally, culturally, I'm going to have a hard time talking to you, I can tell. In the culture there, all right, they also, there were so many anti-Christian elements were in the culture there. And then, of course, there were so many lost in that culture. And that's the reason, guys. We got to make sure we know why we believe what we believe. We need to understand that we live in an increasingly anti-Christian culture. But that anti-Christian culture desperately needs the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read something to you. This was, this was taught on a Wednesday night. It was going to make the Baptist hour, but it didn't quite make that either. Let me read these to you. I'm going to interrupt a sentence for, for brevity. But here's what it says. In plain talking about the, the coming of Jesus. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not, do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to these words. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Those without Jesus Christ, those who live in our society and world without Jesus Christ will be forever separated from God in a place of everlasting destruction. It's not go there and fry and disappear. It's an eternity of punishment, the greatest of which is being eternally separated from God. That's why the mission is so important. And yes, it's Africa. And yes, it's Nicaragua. And yes, it's Haiti. But it is your next door neighbor. It's the guys two blocks down. It's the folks that live over in the neighborhood you wished you lived in. It's the folks that live in the neighborhood that you're glad you do not live in. Our mission is telling others about Jesus Christ. But just like the Mission Impossible people had to be prepared for the mission, so we have to be prepared for the mission. And that's what we find today in, in verses 20 and 21. We're going to do the rest of the sermon another time. Verse 20 and 21, we will look at four keys that Jude gives us, preparing us for the mission at hand. It involves building, it involves praying, it involves keeping, it involves looking. Here we go. Let's look at verse number 20. But you, beloved... So these are people that knew Jesus Christ as Savior, who were loved by the Beloved One, all right? But you, Beloved, building yourselves on your most holy faith. If we're going to be ready for the mission that God has given us, we have got to be building on our most holy faith. Now, here's the important thing to know. Before you can build, you've got to have a foundation. 
Did you know that we went to Africa and over there they made these clods, the bricks made out of mud? And did you know even they knew that they had to dig down to the dirt and get some sort of foundation there that would give them a place to build their walls? The foundation is absolutely crucial. You can't build without a good foundation. You can't build something substantial without a good foundation. And we, spiritually, there's only one foundation we can have, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what we read in 1 Corinthians 11, 3.11. For no foundation, how many? No foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, now the worrisome thing is that in our culture, there are two big ones that we want to make foundations that cannot be. First is morality. I am a good person. I am a good person. We live in a culture today that most people would say, I am going to heaven because I am a good person. Morality is not a foundation you can build on and make it to heaven. Morality will lead you straight to hell. But here's what's tougher. The second one is religion. We live in a culture today that says if my name is on a roll, if I've been ducked, if I prayed a prayer, if I did something religious like that, if I go to church every week, that that equates to salvation. That equates to a good, good foundation. And it does not. There is one foundation, and that foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. We point to it every week. It's what occurred on this cross 2,100 years ago. The fact that all of us had sinned and come short of the glory of God. That there is none righteous. There is none righteous. No, not one. Now, now please, you, you believers in Christ, would you grab that? Would you go back to the day you accepted Christ and understand? Because we forget, the more spiritual we get, we have a tendency of forgetting what we were before we were saved. We were totally depraved. We had nothing we could bring to God's table. We were lost. And because of that, because we couldn't bring, God took the initiative. And before the foundation of the world was laid, he made a plan. A plan where Jesus Christ would become flesh, live a sinless life, and because the wages of sin was death, meaning spiritual death and physical death, he went to the cross. What a great plan. He, he willingly died physically, but he died spiritually on that cross where he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. You've got to get that. That's how we can stand up here today and say, hey, listen, no matter what you've done, no matter where your life is right now, I'm here to tell you that God loves you and by His grace you can have forgiveness of your sins. You can come to relationship with Him. Not because of what you've done or haven't done, but because of Jesus Christ, God's love and His grace. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, that is your foundation. But get this, you've got to build on it. You've got to build on the foundation. Now, we just came back from a pastor's conference. It really, the annual meeting, Illinois Baptist State Association, and the pastor's conference. And I will tell you this, it was the best business meeting I've ever been in. It was all about Jesus. And the pastor's conference was just incredibly rich in teachings from God's word. It was a good week. Now, here's, what, here's something I picked up I thought was incredible. Now, how, how many of you have ever heard of Stow and Go? Stow and yeah, yeah. Did y'all own vans like that or you just heard of it? Yeah, I wish I did. See, I have a, we've owned minivans for 20 years, okay? I've owned different kinds of minivans. But the one I have now is a Ford. 
And Stow and Go is a product that Chrysler came out with that enables you to tilt your seats this way, and they actually fold into the floorboard of the van. Mine's called, the Ford idea is called Hernia Maker. Because what they do is, the, the one seat is solid across, and you have to pull these little pins out, and that itself is, is, is crazy. Then you get it loose, and then you've got to lift this 125-pound seat out of the vehicle. Then you go up, you're blessed to have bucket seats, and they're 60 pounds apiece. I personally think stow and go is a much better idea. And, and Rod, when it comes time, Rod, when it comes time for the next ban, stow and go is a priority for the pastor, all right? Got to have it. Well, listen, Chrysler came up with a great idea. The church has come up with a really bad idea. We don't have stow and go. We've got show and grow. Here's the philosophy. If I show up at church, I automatically grow up. If I show up at church, I automatically grow up. Ain't true. Is not true. Again, it's, it's not even funny anymore because we said so much. Sleeping in a garage doesn't make you a car. And just showing up for church, doing the worship thing, listening to a guy preach for 25, 35, 45 minutes, however long it is, unless you do something with that teaching, it does nothing for you. We go to church, we say, oh, I'm growing in my faith. No, you're showing up. If you want to grow up, then you've got to have something more that is delivered from your Sunday school teacher, something more that is delivered from this place. You need to have a time with God. Now, where did I tell you I just went to a pastor's conference? Did you get that? Say, say, say with me, please. Pastor's conference. Now, that would kind of give you an idea that pastors go. And supposedly, pastors have it somewhat together. At least they should. Guess what a repeating topic was at the pastor's conference? The need for a quiet time. Quiet time, in case you're going, what is a quiet time? Is that when my wife's not home? That might work, all right? But no, no, no. Quiet time is a time that you grab hold of and you spend time alone with God. The TV's off, the stereo's off. It may be in your closet, it may be in your bedroom, it may be in, in your study, wherever. But you find time where you study, meditate, ingest the Word of God. And if we're going to build on our most holy faith, that's exactly as what happened. It's got to happen. Please let me dispel, if you remember nothing else, it really stuck in my heart. Can you tell? If, if I can have one thing you can take home, show up does not mean grow up. And I believe it's evidence because of the lostness of our society. I believe it's evident because 95% of believers go through their entire life and never share their faith. Never lead someone to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We see it evident, we see it evident in some of our actions in our lives when certain sins are tolerable. Gossip and lying and jealousy and envy and bitter. Those kind of things exist. But here's what I'm finding out. If I don't read this, those things are tolerable. If I read this, there's a little thing called the Holy Spirit that teaches me that those things are not acceptable. And it leads to change in my life. So my question is this. 
If you have the foundation, I pray that you do. Do you have the foundation of Jesus Christ? Are you growing? Are you building on your most holy faith? I wrote down another translation, but I'm an old King James boy at heart. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We are to study to show ourselves approved. Paul wrote that to, to a preacher boy named Timothy. So, so we are to study the word of God. If you are not spending time outside of this building or your Sunday school class in the word of God, you are not building on your foundation. And I'm telling you, the, the bad part is, not only will the mission not be accomplished through you, but also you open yourself up to sin and attack and spiritual warfare. Hugely important. Are you building on your most holy faith? Then he goes a little bit further. He says, not only should we be building our most holy faith, we should be praying in the Holy Spirit. I like that. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, let let me tell you this. Perspective in prayer, perspective determines method. Perspective determines how you pray. You may be a crisis prayer. Have you noticed on, on, on 9-11, America all of a sudden became a very praying nation. On that day, you could pray in school. You could pray on the steps of Congress. You could pray in the White House. You know, prayer was not restricted to church on 9-11. You know why? There was a crisis. What happened when the crisis passed? Prayer all of a sudden became very unpopular again. Again. So, so crisis prayer works during the crisis. But once the crisis is over, we go back to our old ways. Wish list. Wish list. The idea that I need to tell God what I want or what I need. And he somehow is obligated to give that to us. Praying in the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to tell you this. Praying is not about crisis management. I don't think, and I believe the Bible supports this, praying is not about a wish list. Praying is about intimacy with God. Let let, let me demonstrate this for you. About two weeks ago, Children around America began writing a certain kind of letter. And who was that letter addressed to? Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Okay? Now, this is an actual letter from a child. Jews kind of have to type it because I couldn't read the writing. But here's an actual letter from an eight-year-old named Kayla. Okay? And here's what she writes. Dear Santa. Now listen. I want gifts from you. Because I've been doing good in school. Dear God, this is what I want, and I've been a good follower of Christ. I've been a good boy, so this is what I want. A little confession here. I know that sometimes I get upset at my mom and give her attitude because I do not get the things I want. Okay, yeah, good theology there. But I've been working on it, and I will continue to try my best. I also practice my schoolwork that my teacher tells me to do. So I can be ahead of the class working on my attitude and my schoolwork. 
Doesn't that sound a little bit like the preference to our prayer sometimes? Hey, God, I've been a good boy. I know I've got some problems, but I'm working on those problems, God. But I've been a good boy. And there's some things I would like to get from you. Cell phone. Kid's eight years old. Cell phone. Yeah, I know. Barbies. Bratz. B-R-A-T-Z. I think that's some kind of doll. Baby dolls. Shoes, size 7. And I really hope that's a child 7 and not an adult 7. Kid's got big feet if it's a size 7 adult. Clothes, size 14 to 16. Maybe she is a big kid. Jewelry, a bedroom phone, purse, and a fan that changes patterns and colors. Love, Kayla. That's how a lot of believers pray. Hey, God, I've been a good person. Hey, God, I've done this. Hey, God, I've done that. But now take that letter from Santa and put it aside and compare it to a love letter. There's all the difference in the world. I asked Jesus permission to read something uh, from her to me. I believe this was written last March when I was in Africa and I found it in my suitcase. Father, I pray you guide Dwayne as he travels with your mission in mind. Help him remember your plans for him and for good and not evil. To give him a future and a hope. Fill him with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That he may have a walk worthy of you, fully pleasing you, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of you. May he go with leading from your Holy Spirit and not walk in doubt and fear of what may happen. Help him as he matures and grows in you each day, submitting to you all his dreams and desires, knowing that all things are possible with you. Give him your dreams, your goals and desires, and show him um, how to conduct himself in a way that always invests in the future you have for him. Keep him from losing his sense of purpose, and may he know you more as you direct his steps. I will miss you so much, but bless you in your mission. You are the light and the anchor in my life. I will be awaiting your return and praying with and for you much every day. I love you so much and pray God's hand direct your every step and thoughts. Your one and only, Judy. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? Is it possible that this better represents the scriptural approach to prayer than this? May I look you in the eye and say it does? In fact, listen, listen to what Jesus said in um, Romans, or I'm sorry, what Jesus said, what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 through 27. Likewise, the Spirit, praying in the Holy Spirit, likewise, likewise the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Aren't you glad? Come on, aren't you glad? I, you're, you guys are out there sitting going, I wish I had a wife like that. Dude, you do. You just don't know you do. The Spirit is a helper. We, we want to run from the Holy Spirit because of the charismatic movement. And time. The Holy Spirit, one, is part of the Trinity, and two, as a believer, He lives in you, and He is your helper. Now watch this. Watch, watch, watch. For Now watch. Now, time out. I used to teach this. I, I, I taught this to you. And here's what I'd say sometimes. 
I'd say, this scripture talks about times when we just don't know how to pray. Now, implying there's times when we do know how to pray. But that's not what Paul writes. Listen to what he says. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. He didn't say sometimes. He says, as Christians, we have a real difficulty determining how we are to pray. And it's true. Look at your prayer list. We, we, when our job's threatened, our first words out of our mouth is, God, save my job. What if God's got a plan for you to lose your job? What if there's an, an illness and we just assume, God, because you're so good, God, we pray for this healing. But what if God's will is to be fulfilled in a different kind of healing? It's huge. That's why Paul said, praying in the Holy Spirit, not just praying. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Watch this. For we do not know that we, we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Wow, I, we don't have time to even go there. How incredible it is, is that the Holy Spirit is praying on our behalf. With, with, with thoughts and words and languages we can't even begin to think about. Groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. God knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Because he makes intercession for the saints according how? To the will of God. To the will of God. So we've got to build on our foundation. But you've got to get beyond coming to hear me or Brent or David or Randy or, or Jesse or somebody else talk up here. We've got to, and I'm glad you do that. But you've got to go beyond that to this quiet time. And if we're going to see the mission accomplished, we have got to move beyond God I want and God I want. And by the way, Jesus himself said God already knows what you want before you ask. You know, he already knows that. We've got to move beyond God. I want to intimacy. I'm glad this card didn't say, Dwayne, I will miss you while you're gone, but would you please bring me back the following? I'm glad it's filled with intimacy and love and concern and compassion. And I'm telling you, when we learn to pray in the spirit, in the fact of intimacy with God, relationship with God, it's an unbelievable thing. It's powerful. It radically changes us. Us. Now, so he said we're to be building, and we're going to be praying, and then we're going to be keeping. Here's what it says. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, do you see what it said? Keep yourselves. Keep yourselves. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, you know, we've been seeing so much about grace. Incredibly good. Grace is important. And we need to be reaffirmed to that because we don't understand grace. I propose to you, we don't understand God's love. We have to be constantly reminded because we don't get God's love. We live in such a performance-driven world, we somehow got in our heads that God's love is performance love. Let me say it to you one more time. God's love is perfect. 
on your very worst day, spiritually, God loves you the same. And on your very best day, spiritually, God loves you the same, perfectly. What changes is not his love. What changes is our perspective of his love. And that's where keeping ourselves in his love falls in our laps. Because what changes our perspective of his love? Well, let's read what Jesus said first. In John 15, incredible chapter, it says this. As the Father has loved me. Now, exactly how much do you think the Father loved his Son? This much? This much? And beyond? Okay. As the Father has loved me, Jesus speaking, so have I loved you. So as much as the Father loves Jesus, Jesus loves us that much. Got that? And by the way, the same character of love. Just like the Father could never stop loving his Son, Jesus can never stop loving us. Same character. All right, now watch this. Watch, watch, watch. If you obey my commands, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Now, watch this. It doesn't say, it does not say, if you keep my commands, I'll keep loving you. Implying, if you don't keep my commands, I'll stop loving you. It does not say that. It says, if you obey my commands, you will remain, you will, I think one translation says, abide. You will stay in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. So how do you keep in His love? Obedience. He doesn't love you any differently. But your perspective of His love will change. Come on. Performance love produces guilt and fear. Sin produces guilt and fear. It's just the truth. Can we go to the garden? Can we go to the gardens? Let's go back, Genesis 3. You know, everything's perfect. Adam and Eve got it made. You know, no sin, nothing. I mean, it's just perfect. Satan comes in and says, did God really say? No, God didn't really say that. You won't surely die. God said you'll die because he knows if you, if you, you know, eat that tree, then you'll be like him and he won't you be like him. And she looks at the tree and eats the, you know, judges it good and eats the apple, gives it to Adam and he eats the apple. And they make fig leaves to cover their nakedness because they realize their nakedness. And then the afternoon comes. Adam! Adam, where are you? We're in the bushes. Now, by the way, God knew where Adam was. He wanted Adam to understand where he was. We're in the bushes. Why are you in the bushes? Oh, well, because we were naked and we were afraid. Sin produces guilt and fear. Sin produces guilt and fear. So many of you and this pastor 
so often live in guilt and fear because of disobedience. God loves me the same. I once said it a dozen times. God loves me the same. But my perspective of love changed. How could anybody love me? How could God love me? How could God love me when I live like this? And we feel worthless. Like a loser. And Satan just goes and smiles. Let's go to the other garden. Here we have the Son of God. Told the boys, pray with me. He goes a little bit further. He says, God, Father. Actually, he says, Abba, Father, Daddy. If there is any way for this cup to pass from me. But nevertheless, what? Not my will be done. Facing a very difficult situation. Do you see any guilt? Do you see any guilt because he said, if there's any way... Do you see any fear of the Father? No, no. in fact, the Father eradicates the fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. 2 Timothy 1.7 So when, when Jude said, keep yourselves in the love of God, he's telling us that it's important that we obey. Because the Word says from Jesus, if you obey my commands. Now, you may argue with me, but you're going to argue with Jesus. If you obey my commands... You're going to abide in my love. You're going to bask in my love. If we're going to be on mission, we've got to be a people who understand and celebrate the love of God. I'll tell you a secret. You may get a kick out of coming and sitting here an hour, you know, or okay, an hour and 15. Okay, an hour and 30. But to the guy out there in the world... That's not much of a drawing card. But let me tell you what is a drawing card. The concept that no matter what I've done, that there's a God and a son who died on the cross. Because of grace, I can be forgiven. That's a drawing card. What did Jesus say? Love one another. By this, the world will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. When they see love lived out, it draws people. So keep yourself in the love of God. And finally this, looking. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming back. He is. Because I don't know the time and you don't know the time, we kind of put that back here somewhere. But he who shall come, will come. He who came on the first Christmas and left on the first Easter will one day come back again. He's coming back. And we should live, here's the key word, we should live with anticipation. Come on. Christmas Eve is coming. I mean, I can't tell you. The tailors were... We're not wealthy. Again, we ate tripe, potted meat. A treat was to have bologna and cheese in your lunch. You know, we had holes in our jeans because, not because it was fashionable, but because we had holes in our jeans. But at Christmas, maybe this is why I believed in Santa Claus till I was 16. Just kidding. But I'm sure I wasn't five. What happened at Christmas was unbelievable. 
Because we would go to the store and I would sit on Santa Claus's lap and I would ask for things. I would, I would leave you know, letters. I, Mom would mail letters for me. And amazingly, in a situation of not, I would not say poverty, but we were pretty stinking close. It was amazing that those gifts often arrived. And that was so cool. I remember one time my sister won an organ. And, and so we're, we're sitting there and they put all three of the little ones Two, 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 I had two sisters and myself, and they put us in one bedroom, and we had a little, little small house, bedroom, bedroom, living room. And we'd be sitting there, and you know we weren't asleep. Man, we'd go to the bathroom like 38 times trying to sneak a peek. Gotta go to the bathroom! No, you don't! Put it right now! But then we hear this. We look at each other. Santa Claus has come! And there's an organ! And there was! That was one of those cord organs, but hey! And I, I really, this had to be Santa Claus. Only a little later did I realize it wasn't a Santa Claus. It was general finance. My mom and dad couldn't afford those gifts. But they so wanted us to have a great Christmas that they went to the finance company and paid those crazy loan rates. So we could have a cool Christmas like everybody else. That grew into an expectation, anticipation that Santa Claus was really coming to town. I believed it. Am I looking now again, Max? Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he didn't have to, he didn't have to go to general finance. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills. Live with anticipation. And here's what, you know, I found ourselves going to Titus like, like three weeks in a row. In Titus chapter 2, we looked at this verse about three weeks ago. Looking for the blessed hope. Anticipating the blessed hope. I haven't told any pooter stores in a long time. And she gets the most today. We've been married like five months. Now, if you've been married 50 years, I don't know if you can remember what it was like to be married five months. I hope the fire's still burning brightly, but I promise you at five months, we had a roaring forest fire. I mean, we're, we're love. It was cool. And that silly Air Force people sent me on temporary duty. I had to fly all the way out to San Antonio, Texas. Went to the airport there in Valdosta and got on the airplane, flew to Atlanta, then flew to San Antonio. And we were apart like eight days. And then it was time to come home. I got on the airplane in San Antonio and flew to Atlanta. And then we got on the little puddle jumper, the two-engine piston engine. Because it's 1976. Piston engine. And it was nighttime. And we left Atlanta and we flew and we circled the Valdosta Airport. And Brent, you know what I did? I looked out the window. And from about 900 feet, I saw my 1967 Pontiac Le Mans soft top. But that ain't what caught my eye. I saw Pooter. Pooter had on, I can tell you this day, girl, she had made a white 
long to the floor, flowing dress. And that wind was blowing that dress. And back then she had hair down to her waist, way down here. And the hair was blowing. Would you mind asking me if I had anticipation? Would you mind asking me if I was looking? Because the person I loved was waiting on me. He who shall come will come. Church, live like He's coming. Live with a passion that He's coming. Because He is. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people zealous for good works. Oh, how can we not be anticipating after what He's done? After what He's done. Tell you, guys, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. I know for certain there's a couple of guys in my alley who are lost. I think the guy behind me, I don't know, he's a really good guy, but I don't know. There's a guy that lives over here now that had a stroke and moved from Chicago, Brent, all the way down to here, knows nobody. And those are some people that, those are my chose, those are my choose five. Well, y'all did choose two, you know, you can break the rules. Because I don't know if they're going to be eternally separated from God. But I know this, I don't want them to be. And God doesn't want them. Yes, we'll go to Haiti and Nicaragua and Africa. And we'll go to Chicago and we'll we'll remember Peggy in New York. We'll remember all those things. But those right next door to us. We don't want them separated from the living God. So we've got to build. We've got to pray. Pray for lost. We've got to keep ourselves. We've got to guard ourselves. Again, one of the dangers of grace. Let me tell you one of the dangers of grace. One of the dangers of grace is that we say, I'm in, who cares? I'm a product of God's amazing grace. That's a distortion of Scripture. Because, friend, when you truly understand grace and God's love, you will keep yourself in His love. Because you love Him. Not not because you have to earn salvation. Because you love Him. We need to look. We need to look. I don't know when he's coming back. But he's coming back. So here you go. Good morning, church. Our neighborhoods, our cities, our state, in fact, our world, is filled with people who have never received the greatest news given to man. There is hope. Jesus saves. Without him, they are hopelessly and eternally separated from God. Your thanksgiving mission, church, and you must accept it, is to live in such a way that you are salt and light, a Jesus magnet, drawing people 
to Him. This week, this Thanksgiving week, show people why you are thankful, especially on Black Friday. As always, should you or any of your brothers and sisters be persecuted or killed, the Lord Jesus Christ will never leave you or forsake you. However, or hopefully, this sermon will not destruct in five seconds. Will you bow your heads, please? We started out this morning talking about salvation, about grace, about how we can come to relationship with, with the Father. And if you're here today and you've never, never had a time in your life when you accepted the greatest gift ever, and that's God's forgiveness through His Son, Jesus Christ. We built this building six or seven years ago for you. We worshiped our God today, but really it was about helping you understand that you can have forgiveness of sins. You can have hope. You can have purpose in life. My friend, Brother Brent, will be sitting sitting down front here in just a moment. And I'm going to have everybody bow their heads so it's just you and him. Just you and him and God. And if you're here today and you'd like to know how you can have your sins forgiven, how you can have hope and purpose in your life, frankly, how you can go to heaven when you die. Brother Brent, some friends we have down here would love to share that information with you today. A lot of us are believers, aren't we? We need to contend for the faith. We need to do whatever it takes. We need to build. Would you commit today, as a believer in Jesus Christ, to have a quiet time with God? Ultimately, the goal every single day, but for this morning's purpose, as many as you can. Meaning if you have to get up early, stay up late. If you don't have a quiet time or you're very consistent in your quiet time, would you commit today to study to show yourself approved? Would you dispel the myth in your life that showing up does not mean growing up? That if you're going to build on your faith, it's going to happen in your life, in the privacy of your room? Would you be willing to change how you pray from crisis management or a wish list? From a dear Santa to a dear Father, would you be willing to pray in the Holy Spirit? Allowing the Holy Spirit to make intercession for you. Because frankly, we don't know often how to pray. That's why it's so important that we authentically pray, Father, your will be done. Because I don't know what your will is sometimes. The obvious may not be right. Would you be willing to keep yourself in his love? Not rules for rules' sake, but rules for life's sake. That we may be Christ-like, a Jesus magnet, living so differently that people want what we have. Would you be willing today to live a life of looking? Every day. This could be the day. This could be the day. And it's amazing how that would change our priorities. God, the best way we've known how, we've taught your word today. I thank you for that privilege. Father, first I pray for my friends who may not know your son Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And they are eternally separated from you right now even though they're still breathing. But Father, that can change by faith in Jesus Christ. What morality and and what religion can't do, Jesus, you can do. 
Father, draw them to yourself today, please. For Father, those of us who are Christ followers, we are believers. Help us to build. Help us to pray. Help us to keep. Help us to look. We need you, God, because all that stuff is mission impossible without you. But with you, all things are possible. And Jesus, I just want to pray this in your most precious name.